today on Ag News Daily. They were awfully excited to hear from somebody that has some skin in the game in terms of cattle production and conservation practices. So I would say just tell your story, talk about, you know, personal experiences in production agriculture. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, here on this Wednesday, September 28th version of the Ag News Daily Podcast, Delaney Howell, joined today by Tanner Winterhoff, brought to you by Performance Livestock Analytics, helping you work smarter on your cattle operation. Visit performancelivestockanalytics.com to request a demo. Tanner, as I understand it, it's fairly cold there in Iowa this morning. Yeah, we had frost on the grass and saw a couple of Snapchats showing us that we were below freezing in some low-lying areas, but uh, we hit 30s for the first time overnight. It's giving me the chills just thinking about it. Yeah, but you're not in Iowa. You're off gallivanting around again. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I'm doing, gallivanting around. Although this week is a little bit less work-focused, I just kind of tagged along to a work trip with uh, Blaine here in San Antonio. So I'll be working this morning and maybe going to the pool this afternoon. A uh, work trip in the middle of harvest? That, uh, I know, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Sounds like a bad idea. Yeah, we'll see how that goes for him. But well, at least do what you, you got to do. At least you are safe out of the path of Hurricane yeah. Ian. It is now strengthened into an extremely dangerous Category 4 storm, as we had predicted yesterday morning. Wednesday, it is predicted to roar into a maybe Category 5 status by the end of the day. Its maximum sustained winds are now blasting at 155 miles per hour. Just as it hits the west coast of Florida, they will be bracing for landfall here this afternoon. AccuWeather is forecasting prediction of landfall at Fort Myers between Don Pedro Island and Boca Grande around 4 p.m. It will slam much of the state and is now considered to have life-threatening storm damages and a storm surge, along with catastrophic winds and record flooding. The National Hurricane Center said this morning at 7 o'clock, the center of Ian was located 65 miles southwest of Naples, We are now forecasting a storm surge of 12 to 16 feet. The Hurricane Center is advising people to evacuate if they can get far enough away in the fast enough time or to make sure that they are hunkered down safe from the storm. More than 90,000 homes and businesses are already dark uh, due to the evacuation orders. And it looks like there was plenty enough heads up from Florida Governor Ron DeSantis saying that They have a large majority of the population that is leaving the path evacuated. It sounded like, too, Delaney, that Cuba is definitely dark right now. It took out their power grid when the storm went through there yesterday. Yes, went through there yesterday. And Tanner, just to add a little bit more to the hurricane development here, like you said, it's currently registered as a Cat 4, but could be turning into a Cat 5. And its path is largely going to hit the west side here later today uh, from approximately Sarasota to Jacksonville before it turns north. And I think you mentioned this on the podcast yesterday, but could see somewhere around 12 inches plus of rain across a large swath of Florida. I have an employee that actually lives in Jacksonville, and I knew that they did hurricane preparation, Tanner, but apparently where he's at in Jacksonville... They are given bags 
and they are told that they have to go bag their own sand. And so he sent me a photo of all of these different residents filling up their sandbags with Florida sand to take home and put in front of windows, doors, et cetera, to try and protect from some of the potential damage there. But I just was a very odd thing to see a picture of. Yeah, but you got to do what you got to do. I'm sure there's uh, no plywood left. I'm sure everybody is taken. Yeah. That's the other interesting thing he said too, was um, you could buy, uh, you could buy plywood, use it for the storm. And then a lot of stores oftentimes let you return the plywood afterwards. Oh, well, that's actually a very welcomed option. I didn't think that yes. would be something I you could either. do. Nice. Well, on other news here, we are seeing continue strengthen dollar. Obviously, when we continue to raise our interest rates here in the United States through the central bank, trying to combat inflation, the dollar index continues to rise. It is now got as high as 114.7. The Al Kluis with Kluis Commodity Advisors says this is the highest the U.S. dollar has been since 2002. And in the past 12 months, the dollar has rallied nearly 25%. This makes U.S. commodities more expensive for other countries, but I'm sure our listeners are well aware of that. Naomi Bloom, who we've talked with from Total Farm Marketing, says typically the dollar sets this high. Other countries can offer a cheaper supply, and we see exports go down. Otherwise, she says the challenge this year will be is that supply is short worldwide. So it will be interesting to see. But with that index at a little over 114.5 in the grain market, we will report on here a little bit later, is subject to suffer from a continued rising dollar. And Al Kleiss also mentioned in a morning newsletter this morning, Tanner, of course, I can't believe we forgot about this yesterday or Monday on Market Monday episode, but Friday is the quarterly grain stocks report. And this one is expected to be a pretty important one. So that's definitely something we'll touch base on here Friday morning after that comes out at 11 a.m. Central Time. But another important thing here that's going on is related to Russian and Ukrainian abilities to get gasoline, that gas. Russia has threatened to place sanctions on Ukraine, on the Ukrainian energy firm Naftogaz, which is one of the last functioning Russian gas supply routes to Europe. And if sanctions are placed on there, it could be completely shut down, exacerbating the energy crisis. Gazprom, Russia's nat gas company, is claiming that Naftogas failed to pay some monthly transit fees, which are due for sending their gas across the European pipeline that goes via Ukraine. By all accounts, Tanner, we're not sure if this is really the case or if if uh, Russia is just looking to find really one more way to kind of shut off the final thing here and cut the head off of this thing. But the EU has, in response to this, vowed to protect the energy system after what they're saying was a sabotage on Russian gas pipelines. So certainly seeing two sides of the story here. But nonetheless, this could be the final straw here for the... uh ongoing or European nat gas crisis. Well, yeah, the, the other big story around natural gas is that Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 systems were designed to transport 
that natural gas from Russia to Europe. Each of those are comprising of two pipelines each, giving four in total. Danish and Swedish officials are now reporting that three of those four pipelines are leaking. They mm-hmm. are uh, identified in the Baltic Sea area, a surface pressure area of around a thousand meters in diameter that has uh, disturbance, which looks like it is natural gas erupting like geysers through the surface surface of the Baltic Sea. They're stating that, like you said, this is sabotage, but uh, Danish and Swedish officials are now on the process of doing the investigation. So I'm sure we're going to get a lot more news there. The Nord Stream operator says the destruction that happened within one day of the three lines was unprecedented and now is looking for extraordinary consequences because of the difficult to imagine damage that is caused from this natural gas leak. But before Delaney, we get into any more news, let's take a pause for a moment from our sponsor today. Do you know your break even for every group of cattle on feed? Performance beef users have quick access to real-time, accurate data. The technology simplifies feeding to financial data, making it easy to generate real-time closeouts, update rations, or analyze performance trends, all in one place. Your feed, financial, and health information are integrated into one easy-to-use platform, accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to learn more and request a demo. Thank you again to our generous sponsor. That that news that we see there of you know trying to verify the source behind the natural gas issue as to whose fault is it? Is this retaliation? Is this part of a larger conflict? It's difficult to sift through, Delaney. It certainly is, Tanner, and there's a lot to sift through in the news today. So let's keep things moving here. We have a report from China that they continued to buy U.S. soybeans last week, another 18 cargoes of soybeans last week, including 13 scheduled for the week of, or excuse me, including 13 additional cargoes for October and November. Seven of those, however, did originate from Argentina, another five from the United States and one from Brazil. And we're continuing to see them stockpile grains by all accounts here, Tanner, even as we head into planting season down in South America. I should see that headline as well. Just another interesting story. Like I said, lots to sift through today. I did get a headline here from DTN about bad news coming from uh, the state of Iowa. According to a ag, one of the ag gag laws. So we've reported on this oh, nearly almost six months ago, Delaney, but one of the two remaining ag gag laws effect in Iowa was struck down now by a federal court. As of Monday, the federal judge ruled that the law violated the freedom of speech. For our listeners that don't recall or understand what ag gag laws is, is this law was put in place in 2021 to make it an aggravated misdemeanor to enter private property without consent of the owner, take samples of soil, water, or animal products, as well as making it criminalized to carry a camera or place a camera or other surveillance devices on such property. That is now struck down in Iowa due to the United States Constitution does not allow the singling out of an exercise against an unconstitutional right, said Chief Judge Stephanie M. Rose, stated the decision to single out this conduct is most plainly shown by defendants as a description of the act of enhancing a penalty 
for conduct that is already prohibited by law. And that is the issue. There's already a law in place, Delaney, that states that this is a criminal act and can be under criminal penalty. But based upon this exercise, it is not allowing free speech. So the difference between what this judge is now ruling versus what was in place is if there was a animal welfare video made without permission to film on site, that they could then have additional penalties because it was obtained without permission. Now they're stating that even if an item is made, such as a video, that is no longer penalized. They can only be penalized for the trespassing on that property. So not not a very good news for those that were in favor of an ag-gag law, according to the hearing that came out Monday. So they can still release the video, but they'll get slapped with a fine or something that they were there trespassing. Right. Could, correct. Could even be punishable by, by time, you know, whichever the trespassing punishment is, is the extent that they can go now, according to this ruling. I'm sure it will be appealed, but certainly the place where it stands now as of Monday. I've got an interesting question to throw your way, and I don't suppose that the article has an answer to it. But what about if you had a drone and you took the drone to said farm? Would that be considered trespassing? So it is actually, and that's just because I own a drone, knowing that the airspace directly above your property can be considered yours. Um, I can't remember what the distance above makes it okay for photography Mm. uh, or video capture, but I do know that that can be considered trespassing. Interesting. I just thought of that while while you were talking about that article, but... I also have a DTN news update here on retail fertilizer trends. Prices tracked for the third week of September 2022 continue to show variable prices across the eight major fertilizers prices. Tanner, five of the eight major fertilizers were lower compared to the month prior, while three continue to remain higher. And the five of the eight that were slightly lower included uh, DAP, MAP, potash, UAN, and I think there was one more. I'm not finding it right off the top of my head here, but the three fertilizers that were slightly more expensive continue to be urea, anhydrous, and UAN 28 tanner. So still seeing a mixed bag there for fertilizer prices as we think about potentially fall application. Yeah, that just spins right into my last news article for the day that uh, U.S. Secretary of Ag Tom Vilsack announced that the agency is making $500 million in grants available to boost American-made fertilizer. Under the leadership of President Biden and Vice President Harris, the USDA is creating a resilient and secure, secure and sustainable economy that will support and provide domestic independent fertilizer choices to our farmers. They're stating here the fertilizer program, fertilizer production expansion program. That's a mouthful, Delaney was originally announced in March with $250 million in funding. In the months to follow, fertilizer prices have continued to soar, so they are not shy about sharing additional funds there. It came out of a roundtable discussion at an Iowa farm in August, and the farmer attendance stated that the input costs are rising to unbearable levels. And on Tuesday, they cited the agency would increase the funds to $500 million to help offset this burden for farmers. Well, Tanner, today's market prices don't look like they're going to do much to offset any sort of financial burden for farmers. What do you say we take a look here at the overnights? 
let's do that. But pause real quick for one more message from our sponsor today. Do you know your break-even for every group of cattle on feed? Performance Beef users have quick access to real-time, accurate data. The technology simplifies feeding to financial data, making it easy to generate real-time closeouts, update rations, or analyze performance trends, all in one place. Your feed, financial, and health information are integrated into one easy-to-use platform, accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to learn more and request a demo. Well, dinner, we are certainly seeing some mixed trade here in the overnight as we head into the opening session this morning. New crop corn added about two pennies in the overnight. Going to open at 669. New crop soybeans down about a penny and a half lower at 1406. New crop wheat up about 14 and a half cents in the overnight to open at 886. And as you transition over to take a look at the livestock here, we're seeing some Fairly weak prices here heading into the opening. December, live cattle contract closed 45 cents lower in the overnight to open at 146.90. October feeders down 95 cents in the overnight at 176.12 and a half. And December lean hogs down $3.15 to open at 76.25. Now, Tanner, we had a discussion yesterday that led into a conversation held in Congress. We're going to have another conversation today talking specifically about conservation programs in the next farm bill as related to the cattle industry. So let's turn it over to that conversation. Well, folks, we are chatting today with Shane Weiss of Weiss and Sons. Hereford Cattle here in West Central Iowa, fifth generation cattle producer, Shane. We recently saw an article regarding your testifying in Congress recently, and that's where we want to dive into the conversation here just after we get to your background first, because as a fifth generation cattle farmer and Iowa Cattleman member and on quite a few different boards and chairs, I'm sure you keep plenty busy, but tell us a little bit about the cattle operation there. Yes, good morning. Thanks for having me. Um, it's a busy time of year uh, here in the fall in West Central Iowa. Um, we are preconditioning calves and chopping silage and earlage, so it's busy, but it's been good. My family and I run Weiss and Sons Herefords uh, in Carroll County in the small town of Manning, and we've actually been raising Herefords since 1912, so we really focus in on raising uh, Hereford bulls to sell to commercial cow-calf operators. And besides just raising Herefords, we've got a big emphasis on conservation. So we raise a variety of cover crops and forages, as well as conventional crops like corn and soybeans. And besides that, we just try to keep a down-to-earth focus on raising cattle and taking care of the environment and working with good people. So when you say you got to focus on conservation, is that something that has passed down from generation to generation, or did you guys most recently adopt those practices? So we've actually been doing it for quite a while, and we've been fortunate enough to receive the NCBA's Environmental Stewardship Award in 1997. So it's something my grandpa and my dad really focused in on and kind of passed that information and passion for down to my brother and I. We've utilized rotational grazing practices for decades, as well as on our crop grounds. We're real, real big on buffer strips, headlands. And uh, besides the fact, we've been using cover crops for quite some time as well. So 
Uh, luckily enough, Chance, my brother and I, have been able to learn this at a very young age and try to expand upon it. And we're we're getting where we're going, but we've got a long ways to go. So it's been fun to kind of use that in tandem with the cattle production. And uh, I would recommend anybody trying their hand at it because we have seen some benefits from a business standpoint as well as environmental standpoint. So Shane, the article that Tanner and I both came across was reported in Drovers last week uh, regarding an NCBA member that testified regarding the value of conservation program, which was you, which is part of the reason we brought you on to the podcast today to discuss this. But how did you get selected to testify in the first place? Yes, it was a, a quick trip. It was only about a 36-hour trip to D.C., um, but luckily enough, we I'm a part of the Iowa Cattlemen's Cow-Calf Council, and we've discussed some conservation struggles and certain government programs that could be kind of tweaked a little bit to be a little more friendly to cattle producers. So we had a meeting a couple months ago via Zoom and discussed these things, and I was fairly outspoken on some of them. And then ironically, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association reached out to the Iowa Cattlemen's searching for somebody that could provide testimony before the House subcommittee that is focused on conservation. So uh, Cora Fox of the Iowa Cattlemen's reached out to me and asked if I would be willing. We went through a quick application and interview process with NCBA, and luckily enough, I was selected. So it was a very quick process that led to a quick trip to D.C., and I think it was very impactful and went really well. So you're mentioning it being a quick trip, but for a listener and myself who've never had that experience before, what's the environment like when you get there and actually have to testify? You know, in being a young agriculturalist, as you can imagine, I, I haven't been to D.C. often or let alone been to a big city like that. So it was a little bit of a reality check for me when I got off that plane. But when we <clears throat> finally got through preparation and were able to get to the hearing, um, you know, I think it was something that the, the Congress women and men were very interested in me being a producer. Um, so that allowed me to settle in and the testimonial went very well actually i think both sides of the political spectrum uh were very intentive and listened really well to all four of the testimonies that were presented that day and uh hopefully we see some good changes um that will be placed into the next farm bill and that's what all this revolved around was figuring out conservation tactics to change in the next farm bill and Shane, as you think about those conservation practices to include in the next farm bill, I think especially during this current administration, we've seen a lot of programs and things come down the pipeline where we see producers scratching their heads, wondering how they came up with these ideas and wondering how more so they're going to get implemented. What were some of the specific topics or recommendations that you made when it comes to conservation programs for the next farm bill? Of course, you know. One thing that was unanimous amongst all four testimonies that day, and I must include that all four of these testimonials were commodity groups or conservation groups. So all four of us pretty much drove home the same point that these conservation programs need to remain voluntary. They cannot be mandated. 
And we simply wanted more flexibility across the board. And that regards any and all um, conservation programs that are in place through the USDA. So another point that was talked about was we really need a little bit more staffing and assistance at NRCS and FSA offices. That was one thing that all four of us unanimously said that needs to change simply to allow a little more ease and rapid pace through enrollment and a little more clarity and technical assistance for all producers. So that was one thing that was drove home. That's a pretty broad topic that was agreed upon among everybody. More specifically, in regards to my testimony, the Iowa Cattlemen's and the NCBA really focused in on the EQIP program and the CRP program. So to go into detail, in regards to EQIP, one thing that we drove home is the fact that we would like to see the EQIP program be a little more rapid, a little more quick. And specifically, we used a, I guess, example from my home operation where I applied for some EQIP funding to put in some water infrastructure, and it was a drought, and we ran out of water before I was able to get approved And it was a long, drawn-out process of waiting, and finally, we just ended up constructing that project with our own capital money. So uh, that was one thing we drove home very specific on EQIP. And then we kind of talked a little bit in further detail on the CRP programs. And from an Iowa Cattleman and NCBA perspective, we were just looking to see if it can become a little more cattle-friendly. Um, an unintended consequence with CRP, especially in the state of Iowa, is that the rental rates of CRP obviously are compared to crop ground, which is of high value in Midwestern states. And it really discourages renting out pasture ground. So we wanted to stress the fact that we need to look at how rental rates are compiled and hope that they can maybe reconfigure how that goes to be a little more pasture friendly. Besides that, we drove home the fact that grazing is a good thing for the environment, and we would like to see more options to be able to graze CRP ground with less penalty or consequences, and also see if through mid-contract management, we can graze cattle on that ground as opposed to clip it, spray it, or even burn it. So a little bit more specific on the CRP side of things. And again, all of this was well received across the board. And we're really hoping from an ICA and NCBA perspective, it was impactful. Yeah, it sounds like you've got a really good chance for it to be impactful for our listeners that might be able to grab the ear of a politician or be in a position to have a conversation like you did out in public or at a private event. What advice do you have for starting the conversation? I know some of us struggle at at knowing how do you even start? I agree. And it took me a while to settle in. You know, it was, like I said, a big change for me being from the Midwest. And this was really my first trip to D.C. and, um, I guess, interaction with politicians. But one thing I I noticed was that they they really uh, are garnered to the producer mindset. They were awfully excited to hear from somebody that has some skin in the game in terms of cattle production and conservation practices. So I would say just tell your story, talk about, you know, personal experiences in production agriculture. And uh, it was kind of amazing, the smiles and the uh, the light bulbs that went off in their head when they realized that, 
you know, people like us, we know what we're doing and we try hard at things. So I, I, I would recommend that and also not be intimidated because, um, it, it went better than I could have predicted. And overall, I was very, very pleased and thankful for the experience. I really need to thank the Iowa Cattlemen's and the National Cattlemen's Beef Association for allowing me to take part in this. Well, Shane, we certainly appreciate you taking the time to be part of the Ag News Daily podcast with us today. So thanks again for joining. Thank you for having me on, and you guys have a great rest of the fall. Well, Delaney, I had a lot of fun having that conversation and just learning more about the process. I know someday I hope to make it to D.C. myself, but it's good to learn from people who've already been there. Yes, it certainly is, Tanner. It's important for agriculture to continue telling their story and sharing that piece. So uh, good job. Kudos to Shane for continuing to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Listeners, if you've got other guest suggestions, I know we say this a lot, reach out to Ag News Daily on all of our social media channels. Also, keep us posted how Harvest is going. Send us some pictures. Let us know what things you are seeing in your area. Right, Delaney? Absolutely, Tanner. You can find us on social media at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we'd love to see your harvest pictures this season. Tanner, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let the people go.